Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park Tension is important in comedy because then you have the punchline that releases the tension and that gets a laugh. But one of the things I, I discovered early when I started doing, like as most comedians do when you first start, how intoxicating it is to make a room of people laugh. I never anticipated just how intoxicating it would be to have an entire room of people agree with me about something that I thought she did wrong, but that she thought I did wrong. Welcome to the True Fiction Project, a podcast series that explores the origins of fiction. Every week, we begin with an interview, nonfiction, followed by a creative piece, fiction, inspired by something from the interview. The idea is to demonstrate, of course, that fiction is born out of our life experiences. Now, here's your host, storyteller, author, public speaker, health and wellness expert, Renita Hora. Welcome back to the True Fiction Project. I am your host, Renita Hora. And I have with me today, Jess Solomon. She is a New York-based Canadian comedian. Oh, Canadian <laughs> comedian, that has a ring to it. Um, and you've seen her before. She's appeared on The Tonight Show with Jimmy Fallon. And you've also probably heard her podcast, which I am going to speak with her about. But before I do, hi, Jess. Welcome to the True Fiction Project. Hi, Renita. Am I saying that right, Renita? You're saying that right, but you know, you can say it any way you like because I will answer to anything I have learned. That is the only <laughs> way to get through this life. Oh. <laughs> yeah, pick your battles. Pick your battles, exactly. Um, and speaking of picking battles, I mean, you to kick off, uh, not mm -hmm. our battle, not our battle, but um, <laughs> <laughs> you weren't always in a place in life where you were a hilarious comedian, as, as I think you said in, in one of your shows. <laughs> you used to be a lawyer and specifically work with international war crimes. Is that right? That is correct. Uh, unfortunately, when I tell people that I haven't always been a comedian, and I say that on stage, the audience does not seem surprised. Oh. Um, and <laughs> And I have had People heckle me or write in the comment section that I should have stuck with law. Um, but, you know, everyone's a comedian. Everyone's a critic. And, uh, yeah, I mean, I, I, I have very much of a news anchor vibe, lawyer vibe, despite now doing comedy for, I don't know, 11 years. And, um, and I feel as though my brain has fully switched to whatever that, 
you know, sicknesses that a comedian has <laughs> to see ah. the world always through the sort of comedic lens. But there was a time when I worked at the UN in The Hague as a war crimes lawyer after going through law school and focusing eventually on um, human rights work, humanitarian law, that kind of thing. So, you know, since people will pass judgment and say, oh, well, you should have stuck to being a lawyer. I'm just wondering where it's just is my that? family. <laughs> it's oh, just them. Family. It's just them. They've, they've, they've created new internet accounts. They've, they've, they've have burner accounts where they heckle me online. That's what I'm assuming. Ah, oh, <laughs> I see. They just cannot be seen with a comedian. <laughs> right. <laughs> oh, these families. <laughs> it's very it's very devastating for parents to see their kid go through law school, get a reputable job in law, and then decide to be a clown, you know? <laughs> yeah, an irreputable clown. <laughs> yeah, exactly. <laughs> but, you know, family is great because um, that's where the comedy comes from. I mean, not yes. necessarily just family, but they are such a great source. I think for most people I know, comedians are not. I mean, it's it's like that's where you derive most of your angst, but then you got to have a sense of humor. And if you do, oh my gosh, life can be a whole lot of fun. What do you what do you say? Yeah, well, they say that tragedy plus time equals comedy. Um, I don't think it necessarily always has to be tragic, but any anything that has been. Uh, you know, attention, an argument, uh, a source of anger with a little bit of time. Um, if you are comedically inclined, it can become a very, a very good bit because that original passionate source, I think that is, you know, eating away at you. If you can um, get a little bit of distance and see the, the humor in it, it, it can be very relatable and very cathartic to share it on stage and and make people laugh if you if you bring it to the stage a bit too early the audience is uh, pretty smart at picking up that you haven't spent enough time and distance from the actual thing and they can tell when it just feels too real um mm. so that's important it's important to get to the the funny part of it at some point now this is this is an interesting point you bring up because I have um, watched some of your clips, listened to some of your shows, and I know that with your your current nuclear family, you and your wife, um, you will often talk about her in some of your routines, and, and it's really <laughs> funny stuff. But to your point, you know, when the audience doesn't know, when you bring it up a little too early, would love to have you explain what that means. Um, and what I'm trying to get at is, do you think the audience is astute in sort of understanding or perhaps thinking maybe that you're using them as a shrink? Uh, <laughs> I don't know if we're using them as a shrink. Well, maybe in the sense of a uh, couples therapist as, as a third party. We mm -hmm. have uh, arguments on stage Generally, they're arguments that were real and that we were very uh, angry about and there was a lot of true tension. And when we bring it to the stage, it's, it's still there, but at this point we've developed it into more of a comedic bit, hopefully. But there are moments where the audience isn't sure if we're fighting for real. And that, that's great because, um, well, two things. One thing is that tension 
is important in comedy because then you have the punchline that releases the tension and that gets a laugh. But one of the things I, I discovered early when I started doing, like as most comedians do when you first start, how intoxicating it is to make a room of people laugh. I never anticipated <clears throat> just how intoxicating it would be to have an entire room of people agree with me about something that I thought she did wrong, but that she thought I did wrong. And to tell the audience something that she did with, you know, driving, like reaching over when I was driving, reaching over from the passenger seat and honking my horn when it was absolutely not an emergency <laughs> and hear them collectively go, <gasps> you know, it's, it's just this, I don't know. It's, it competes with, the feeling of a laugh. I just that it's to, to feel right, to be vindicated in that way. I, I'll say, I'll even say it's even better than a laugh. Um, so, so it's, it's a lot of fun and we have a lot of fun on stage together. So this is, this is great. Tell us more about that. So you and your wife, tell us more about her okay. and her background and sure. how together and why you decided to go on stage together, because that really is a unique form of, delivery right so uh talking about your wife is one of the most classic things you could do in stand-up comedy going back to the early days of the catskill comedians and the you know take my wife material uh and we both had we were we're both comedians we've both been doing it a while on our own i'm jewish and my wife is muslim and palestinian and so naturally we, we, we had material about each other regardless, but it was just, the material was so identifying because if there's, if there are other couples in comedy, but they might both just be white and, uh, heterosexual. And mm -hmm. so if one of them gets on a lineup and, and says, blah, 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 my girlfriend, this or that, and then the boyfriend gets on or sorry, and then the girlfriend gets on is like my boyfriend. This or, like nobody is really connecting that they're talking about the other one, but if we both are on a show together, doing our jokes about each other, and you know we're both saying we're in New York and we're both talking about being Canadian and moving here just before Trump, and mm -hmm. my wife is Palestinian and my wife is Jewish. I mean, at some point, the audience is like, wait a second you must be together. <laughs> like, what are the odds? <laughs> and, uh, and so people started wanting us to be on stage together. We absolutely did not want to do it. This was something we were forced into doing. Because I don't know if you've ever worked with, um, with a partner, but already being in the same field is a lot. Uh, yeah. So working together on top of it it's not that we don't enjoy being on stage together, but it's all the stuff, all the, the admin stuff around it, you know? Like, did you send that email? Like, oh, I was too busy. Well, were you? Because we've been in the same apartment in quarantine. You know, I, see, <laughs> I know you haven't been busy. I know you've been playing your computer game on your phone, you know? And I know like, your excuses. You know, exactly, <laughs> and we're so different because I, I did used to be a lawyer. And she's uh, didn't you know finish university? She's much more. She's she, she's not a type A person like me. So, you know, mm -hmm. she'll fire off an email uh, 
just on her phone, you know, on the toilet and just be like, yeah, I, yeah, sure. We'd love to do it. And meanwhile, they've asked like, are you free? But the 25th, 26th, 27th, can you send a W9? What's your social insurance? What's your, you know, can you see it? And, and, and then She's I like, have let to me get off the toilet. <laughs> <laughs> so then, yeah, so we've, that's, so all of that stuff has been a challenge, but it is the thing that people, and as much, and we, we do prefer being our own individual selves and exploring topics on our own on stage as solo comedians, but what, People, what the what the fans seem to want is um, both of us on stage together because it is something so different, and there aren't mm. really there's not a lot of duo acts in comedy, and certainly not um, married couple duo acts. There used to be many years ago a couple famous ones, but I want to say Ben Stiller's parents are yeah. one and. Um, Nichols and May. I'm not sure if they were a couple, but they acted like one on stage, and uh, and certainly not not two wives. So um, it is very entertaining for people, and it is yeah. it is fun to explore our beyond our sort of differences that are obvious, the background and religion and politics of our relationship, just yeah. the general couple stuff. Because to see a straight, you know, white cu Christian couple in the audience identifying one of them saying, you know, like, oh, I'm so the Iman or I'm so the Jess and the relationship is, is hilarious and has been really fun. Quite unique, quite unique if, you know, uh, if I may say so. And I'd love to ask how it started. I mean, how did you both as individual comedians first find yourself together on stage? Was that an accident? Our parents introduced us no, oh. I'm, just, I'm joking. Okay, well, <laughs> I, I'm, I'm totally kidding. Was that tragedy or comedy? <laughs> yeah, no, they, they haven't met yet. But uh, our um, we met doing uh, doing stand up in in Montreal, where we're from. Mm -hmm. I like to say I'm from the French part of Canada, which is why I'm hot. But you can't you can't oh. see me right now. We're just on audio. But the um, and when Montreal's I, when covered I, in snow. Right Montreal now, is it's so it's so cold. I I went home for the first time in a long time recently, and I I for, just forgot how brutal winter is. And it's not even bad compared to what it was like when I was a kid. But um, mm -hmm. it just it it shocks you. It it shocks you in a way where you're like, well, maybe universal health care isn't that important. <laughs> <laughs> Sorry, not to get off track. You were saying, yeah, <laughs> yes. So we. Um, we met at a comedy club in Montreal. Iman was working there uh, and doing comedy there when I arrived on the scene from my previous life as a, as a war crimes lawyer. And we started, she, she was very um, interested in sort of celebrating how much the, the Jews and the Muslims on the comedy scene happened to really get on it just, it, there was a particular group of comedians at that time that were coming up in English, on the English mm. side of the comedy scene in Montreal. And there were, uh, there was just a real sort of camaraderie, chemistry, I don't know. So um, Iman came up with this idea of doing a holiday show called Kosher Jokes for the Halaladays. <laughs> which was uh, a great name, and it brought Jews and Muslim 
comedians together at Christmas, and so that was something that connected us was that we didn't have anything going on at that point, right. and um, and so it became um, a uh, it went on for a few years the show, and I was a part of it with her. She was producing it with someone else, and then I ended up producing it with her and it was a three city tour. And um, that's how we sort of really got to know each other was working on that show, doing um, interviews together. She says hmm. that I, I, I don't uh, project very well. And so she claims that she never really heard anything I had to say at the loud bar um, after the shows, even though I, I was, I thought all dropping, the pickup all, lines, she yeah, missed all the pickup lines. And you're still here, so she's still there. (laughs) Yeah. (laughs) But then when we were doing radio, we went out for lunch, and that's when she says she um, first heard me and thought I was interesting. But, you know, also this is an important fact, uh, detail, is that Iman uh, wasn't wasn't gay before me as far as she knew. So I wasn't really trying to um, pick her up because I just didn't see her as a as someone to pick up because I, I, she was a straight, you know, female comic from, you know, everything that I knew about her. Mm -hmm. And, uh, and then, well, I mean, I wish it were a more romantic story, but essentially one night at the, at the bar, at the comedy club, our mutual friend, this very, uh, Italian guy, like a John Belushi type, um, Mm -hmm. tried to, he bought us shots and tried to get us to kiss, which um, we were talking about the Middle East, and I think he was he was ostensibly trying to make peace, but kind of trying to have a threesome. And um, interesting, we, you know, you know oh that old goodness. that old move. <laughs> well, I was <laughs> going to ask: was he was his angle that you were, you know, uh, Jewish Muslim, and he's trying to get you together, or that you're two <laughs> women, or one of them I... is, as far as he knows, heterosexual, and therefore, hey, <laughs> this could be entertaining, or. <laughs> I mean, I'd love to give him the credit to say that he's a peacemaker on par with some of the Nobel laureates out there. But I I think he was just interested in us both being women and having a threesome um, mm. unrelated to the politics of it all. And and I, I, identi- I identify as bisexual. I, I mean, I just at this point have been married uh, to a woman for so long that I don't really get into it but at the time I had a lot of material on stage about being bisexual so I think he he definitely saw a a potential and Mm -hmm. um it is this is a little PSA to to the fellows that are trying to have a threesome (laughs) and buy women some drinks at the bar they may just go off alone and make a lifetime commitment to each other (laughs) which is what happened so interesting Uh, so I Tempted as I am, I am going to refrain from asking whether the threesome happened. That might be TMI. No, I will tell you it it did not. It did not. uh, It it did did not. not. No, but it's what sparked the um, the idea. Idea. Yeah, that that maybe something with Iman. Yeah, eventually. So how? I'm very interested, and maybe I need to have Iman on the show. You both show (laughs) together. But how did this turn her? I mean, what turned? When? I mean, you haven't met me, uh, Renita, but, uh, you know, uh, no, I, Damn I, it. I, <laughs> where have you been all my life? I feel like I'm missing out. See, <laughs> <laughs> I mean, I, I do joke that this is the kind of gay conversion therapy I believe in is making people gay. I think it's OK in that in that direction. But um, uh-huh. I, 
I don't I don't know what it uh, I don't know what it was I she was definitely resistant um, for a, she'd never even been in a relationship before um, she'd been with with men but not um, in a committed relationship so the idea of being in, in a committed relationship the idea of being with a woman all of this was very new and um, and seemed was hard for her to, to process and kind of come to terms with so it was very rocky for uh, a little while before mm-hmm. sort of the coming out and 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 also not just from her like a, a perspective of her friends and family I mean her friends it, it's not an issue but the, let's say the family, the um, family it was also that in comedy she had all of her act was about being um, a straight single sort of party girl and she was starting mm. to get a lot of things in comedy she was sort of at the five-year mark so her first TV stuff in Canada and you know, as a comedian, you, and you have to sort of, there's that thing the of, well, line. I'm gonna have to change yeah. everything, you know, and, and doing a lot of Arab shows and um, Muslim gigs and stuff like that, and how would that go? And um, so comedy was the last place that we ended up coming out about our relationship, which in the end, looking back, was, was good because it gave me another four years to um, be my own person before we <laughs> did come out and then got roped into this duo act. Um, I see. Yeah. Roped into the duo act. We were just... say that <laughs> about my 26-year-old marriage. Yeah, roped into the duo act. <laughs> I mean, it's another way we can uh, refer to marriage, yeah. <laughs> yeah, totally. <laughs> so... Okay, so I can begin to see sort of, you know, how difficult that might have been for her. How about for you? Was it, um, yeah, you know, genocide and war crimes yesterday and, you know, comedy today and (laughs) um, Jewish Muslim Muslim comedy tomorrow or from here on? (laughs) I I, I took my um, human rights work more in a more personal direction, I guess you could say. Um, But, yeah, we... um, you know the, the the career thing. I mean, it was its own um, shift because it, just such a different no pun kind on of. Queer. Uh, yeah, yeah, such a, <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, uh, yeah, very very different worlds and and in in a lot of ways, and it takes a long time to become a comedian. And and I don't know if you've ever done a career change well certainly some are more sort of lateral moves or you can Mm -hmm. bring stuff that you've they have transferable skills this didn't really and I didn't know when I left law to pursue comedy that I guess I guess you just don't really know about any career until you kind of get into it I thought you know a Mm -hmm. couple years if I don't have an HBO special if I don't have my own sitcom like I guess it's not for me you know and then obviously Um, it takes a good 10 years is, you know, what most people say to really, uh, become a professional and, and it was, it is a very fun process and I, and I love it. And there's, there are little markers along the way that are encouraging, but there, it was a good chunk of time where you, um, with a career change, that's kind of radical where you sort of lose touch with the old world where you realize, oh, well, I might be too far gone to go back because I've lost Mm -hmm. all of these skills and yet you're not good at the new thing yet. So you really aren't good at anything and it's a pretty disorienting (laughs) time. (laughs) 
So <laughs> luckily I could busy myself with trying to convince Iman to be with me and, and, and come out of the closet. So there was all of that going on. Um, right. But, uh, but yes, I have forgotten your original question. <laughs> Um, I'm thinking about the transition, (laughs) the (laughs) transition from one thing to another. um, Yeah, I I can't I I can't say that there were many transferable skills. I I I do. I will say that the one connecting thing between everything was that I always wanted to be an advocate, I guess, of some kind. And Mm -hmm. I went into law not because I loved law per se, but that I came out of undergrad wanting to help people and be a part mm-hmm. of the solution, blah, blah. And, and law seemed like a kind of a skill that was one within the possibility of, you know, a wheelhouse I could imagine as opposed to something in science or engineering. I, I you know, right. uh, I'm very bad with, with that stuff. So, um, and then, and, and then, do. and then, Sorry, go ahead. Uh, I was going to say, and you do, as as you've said, help your fellow comedians with their minor drug offenses. Okay. <laughs> <laughs> well, this is what they were hoping for. I had a lot of uh, comedians that had well minor drug offenses, parking tickets. When I started as a as a lawyer, they thought, well, hey, here we go. That's useful. That's mm-hmm, useful. Your family mm-hmm. should not be upset. You know, parking offenses. I could keep you employed for life. I mean, seriously. I mean, if I could help myself with that, yeah. But um, but but comedy can be a form of bad because here at least I, that's what I thought going into yep. it. And um, now I, I as as a comedian, I kind of bristle, bristle with that idea. It's um, you can't really put that at the forefront. You hope that maybe um, you by making people laugh that you also as a byproduct make them think or. I right. certainly Iman um, being a Palestinian woman on stage is uh, that alone is is valuable and that for many people she's the first Palestinian person they've ever seen and to be on stage being funny it 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 is important um, but let's say uh, I I don't know that comedy can, can or satire can save the republic you know. And, uh, well, you yeah. certainly hope a sense of humor could, if nothing else. <laughs> All of that interesting noise in the background, is Iman cooking or, you know, doing She's, things? <laughs> she came in and she decided to put some tea on the stove, which is great well, when you're doing a podcast. She, she's, she's wanting to make sure I'm, I'm not saying anything bad about her. I think she. Yeah, no, I think that is the only thing that's not so great about that is that she hasn't offered me a cup of that tea. I could do with one too, <laughs> but. <laughs> but to, to your point about comedy as advocacy, is that what Comedians versus the News is about? Tell us about that show. So Comedians versus the News is a podcast on the world's the BBC World Service, it uh, we've had two seasons of it. Iman and I host it, and we invite two other international comedians. We've had comedians from all over the world. Um, during the pandemic, all of it's been remote, um, and we weighing in basically on on news stories. So each comic will bring two stories about what's going on in their part of the world. And mm-hmm. we, um, the first season was in the, was just a, about, um, sorry, the first season was uh, in the run up to the American election. 
So that was sort of the genesis of the idea was that Iman and I would each cover uh, every week a different story, um, you know, in the, the race for the White House. And um, we also had some headline news and some games and monologue jokes and stuff like that. And um, and then the second season, we were out of the election time and we sort of it was the same thing with the guests. They bring different stories and and we all uh, weigh in and joke like a like a panel type of comedy show. Um, mm. COVID was always a big theme because that's what was going on. Um, we were all everybody was sort of in lockdown everywhere. It was this was pre-vaccine the first two seasons so the first one's the american election the second season we talked was last spring we talked about other topics that we sort of did a deep dive um on our end uh, once a week and the third season is going to be kicking off in february and now that we're vaccinated and hopefully things will sort of stay okay we're gonna hope for some live episodes and um I'm not sure what we're gonna what we're gonna go into, but this season is gonna be lo- a longer, like a seven, 17 episodes. Um, so we work with the BBC, and um, we try not to to kill each other. But now that we're out of lockdown, it should be easier. Well, there you go, staying <laughs> alive. That's what it's all yes. about. It's about just staying alive, yeah. Staying alive. So just so much, you know, to talk about. But unfortunately, we're coming up to time. I always hate mm-hmm. saying this, but. I feel compelled. Anyway, the premise of this particular show, The True Fiction Project, which I'm not sure if I explained, was to do this interview with you to hear your fabulous story. That's the nonfiction piece. And then Mm -hmm. to throw the audio interview out to a fiction writer who would then listen to it, be inspired by something, define a main character, and come up with a fictional piece based on this. My question to you is... If you were to give the writer a writing prompt, what would it be? Okay, so based on what we've been speaking about, um, I thought that we were going to be talking about the, more about the war crimes tribunal, but I'm happy um, for to go in a different direction. So based on what we've been talking about, my writing prompt, so the, the fiction writer needs to come up with a character or it's, um, it's they come up with, a a story based yeah, on... Yeah, a story. It, it could be anything. It could be a monologue, a story, a scene, uh, any a, a piece of fiction, however they define okay. it. Uh, but if you I would, I would give them... Okay. So I would say, for a writing prompt, how's this? An odd couple decides to proactively go to couples therapy and save their relationship so that they can continue to work together (laughs) even though they don't want to but it's their main source of income so they have to and they also hope to continue to bring joy and spread a message of peace in the world all right and they have to work that out otherwise one of them is going to have to go back to being an international war crimes lawyer and make their family very happy which is the worst thing they can think of worse than divorce in fact and (laughs) there you go yes so I don't know which character if it's if it's from the perspective of the therapist 
or one of the two people in the relationship. I don't know. Let, let, well, leave that to the writer. We'll leave that to the writer. And that is plenty of fodder. Jess, thank you so much. Where can our listeners find you and your fabulous work? Well, uh, on social media, I'm at Jess underscore Solomon, S-A-L-O-M-O-N. And with my wife, we have a comic strip um, on Instagram that's illustrated by our friend Jesse Brown. It's beautiful. His work is beautiful. It's uh, it's at the T-H-E-L Solomons, E-L-S-A-L-O-M-O-N-S. And yeah, so on Twitter and on Instagram, Facebook. I'm on TikTok too, but that's probably not the best place to find me. <laughs> Okay. Well, thank you so much, Jess. I've got to check out the the, the Solomons, the Solomons. The the L, so, the L Solomons, because she's the Iman L. Hus- Solomons. Yeah, she's Iman El Husseini. I'm Jess Solomon, and it was our, it. Wedding ha- our it was our wedding hashtag, and then of course, as you know, roped into a duo act. So well, the wedding just continues on into the marriage. That's what we <laughs> yeah. love, right? Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Jess, thank you so much. Please go enjoy that cup of tea and please ask El uh, Iman, Iman that yes. is, if she would be my next guest because I think that would be fabulous to have yes. you both individually and then maybe together as well. <laughs> the rebuttal <gasps> episode. Yes, of course, the, I will yes. let her know. All right. Thank you so much, Jess. Okay, Great having my you on pleasure. The show. So nice to meet you. Thanks for having me. Likewise. And that was my guest, Jess Solomon, a New York-based Canadian comedian from Canada. And I'm Renita Hora, your host for The True Fiction Project. Stay tuned for more. And now to the premise of The True Fiction Project, which of course is to create fiction out of nonfiction. Written and read by Parker James. The hustle of the cafe was overwhelming to William. The voices of a hundred people grew into a chorus loud enough to burst his eardrums. William felt blinded for a moment. His heart was pounding. He could feel the small pings of panic climbing up his spine. Feeling frozen and his anxiety building, a familiar, comforting hand grabbed him. Paging Dr. Will, Dr. Will, please head back to reality. I was waving at you for like a solid five minutes. How did you not see me? Marcus asked William. William snapped out of his trance to be greeted by his beautiful husband. Marcus was far too dressed up for a simple trip to the cafe. William thought it was ridiculous, but it made him smile to see which elaborate outfit Marcus would try out today. Oh, hi. I'm sorry, I... I think, uh, think I'm done being a therapist. I don't think I've ever met a couple like this before. William responded with clear confusion in his voice. Marcus laughed as he ushered William to a table in the back corner of the cafe. Oh, please, can't be any worse than that mobster or his wife. Those people were crazy. No, I'm serious. These girls were like nothing I've ever had to deal with before. Please, Will, you're the best couples counselor I've ever met. What happened? First things first, how many couple counselors do you know? Second, 
I don't actually have to. My phone can, William said while placing his phone down on the rough wooden table. Marcus gave William a serious look. Well, isn't that quite literally a crime? Oh, please, like you've never done anything slightly illegal. I still remember last New Year's. I already edited out their names. As soon as William finished his sentence, the only waiter working came. Marcus ordered first. Two double espressos, one of those uh, chocolate cakes, and Will? Yeah, whiskey's rock, sir. Will, you scamp. Make that two, please. Marcus added, wearing a devilish grin. Okay, well, I generally support day drinking. When do you ever drink whiskey? Marcus questioned William. Ever since these women walked into my office. Let's just call them Pam and Jam. Okay, kind of want to ding you on the name choices, but if you recorded them, why are you telling me? Well, Marcus, it's so I don't have to say person A and person B. So, for backstory, Pam and Jam have been married for about six years now. They met in London and basically got dared by some drunk asshole to kiss each other. <sighs> Let me guess. Hetero banker, bro? William smiled. Hmm. Good guess, but no. Some wannabe actor or something. That's not the point. So, Jam was a former human rights lawyer working in X location. Okay, and who's Pam? That's the thing. She was an immigrant engineer from the very country Jam was working in, William exclaimed. Hmm, how interesting. So, what was the problem? Was she working too much, or did Pam want to go back to her home country and Jam didn't want to? Marcus was interrupted by the waiter dropping off the order. Thank you. No, it's far more stupid. William said, slamming his whiskey in one gulp. Just take a listen, and for reference, Jam is the higher-pitched voice. William hit play on the recording, and the first thing to come out of the phone speaker was the loudest pigeon noises Marcus had ever heard. That's all I fucking hear from you. All day, you just get these stupid birds to listen to you. Ever thought about listening to me? Jam screamed. Oh, oh, I'm sorry. I'm sorry that you're too blind to see my vision. You're so focused on your stupid reputation that you wouldn't even try to talk to the logistic guys. This is what they need to save their business. Pam screamed in response. Marcus hit pause on the recording. Okay, hold up. Pam owns birds and wants to do business with logistics guys. What are they... Trying to do revitalize carrier pigeons? Marcus burst out laughing. William didn't say anything, just gave Marcus a serious look and hit play. Ladies, I'm gonna have to step in here. Yelling will not be conducive to solving any problems. So, you feel is not listening or hearing your concerns? William asked Jam. How do I feel? I don't feel anything because I know for a fact she's not listening to me. She has somehow convinced herself that carrier pigeons are the future of private communications. I thought she was joking. 
I was, I was for it at first, you know? Have some non-traditional pets, send some friends our holiday cards via pigeon. Sure, it's weird, but it stands out. However, the next thing I know, she burned half our life savings, maxed out our credit cards, and got a second mortgage on our house by buying the world's best pigeons, a custom coop, flew in vets from all around the world, and is now using my old contacts to get in touch with members of the UN logistics team to hold pitch meetings about a 400-year-old method of communication. Which, by the way, as I have told you before, the aid branch of the UN is not a business. Pam was audibly breathing with rage. <sighs> See, Doc? This is what I mean. These birds are my babies. She doesn't give a flying f about my children and the life I'm working to build for us. I've named every single one after you. You are always telling me how much you hated working as a lawyer and how you do anything to stay out of that life. Yes, I have in the past. However, with this idiotic idea, you're forcing me to go back into that life. So now, if you wonder why I never get to see you anymore, or why I'm stuck in a war zone trying to get visas for people who just want a normal life, just remember, it was your shit-reeking sky rats that it would have gotten me shot. There was a decades-long silence before the shattering of glass came screaming out of the phone speaker. Oh my god, what, what happened? Who broke what? Marcus questioned, leaning over the table with the curiosity of a child. Well, Jam broke my lamp over Pam's face. This naturally erupted into a fight. A serious one. I tried getting in the middle of it and breaking it up, but uh, that didn't go super great, to be honest. Will, are you okay, baby? Did they hurt you? I'm fine, Marcus. It ended with me firing off the fire extinguisher in their faces and throwing them out. I think I'm done trying to be a therapist. I think I want to go back to our old business. Marcus grabbed both of William's hands. William, I'll support you in anything you want to do. I love you to the ends of the earth. William smiled a coy smile. I love you too. Are you ready? Ready as I've ever been. Marcus and William shared a short, passionate kiss and both pulled pistols from inside of their coats. Will fired off a round into the ceiling, jumped on the old table, and screamed at the top of his lungs, Okay, everybody, be cool. This is a robbery. Thank you for listening to The True Fiction Project with Renita Hora. Be sure to subscribe to the newsletter to receive more inspiring stories showing how fiction is born from our everyday experiences. For more information, visit www.truefictionproject.com.
Enjoy all your favorite sports like never before at BetMGM. Sign up using code Buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet. When you register with BetMGM, you'll get instant access to a variety of parlay selection features, live betting options, and the best daily promotions in the business. And with BetMGM at your fingertips, every play and every game matters more than ever. Place your money line prop or parlay bets with the king of sports books today sign up using code buckeye and receive up to $1,500 back in bonus bets if you don't win your first bet bet mgm and GameSense remind you to play responsibly 21 plus and present in ohio subject to eligibility requirements rewards are non-withdrawable bonus bets that expire in seven days gambling problem call 1-800-GAMBLER in partnership with mgm northfield park 